Take your Bibles, if you have them, I hope you do, go to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Ephesians chapter 6. It's kind of crazy to realize that we are um, we're almost done with Ephesians. We're almost at Easter, and before you know it, Christmas will be here. So, wow, that was quite the reaction. All right. <laughs> Am I rushing things a little? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. I want to begin in, uh, this morning reading um, the text starting in verse 10. And we'll jump in, so let's read together. It says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh, and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints Paul says, pray also for me that the message, may be, the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains, so pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. This is free. But one of the things that keeps standing out to me is you get to the end of there and Paul, of all people, is like, hey, pray what I, I, I could be bold, please. That'd be like, um, hey, could you guys this morning as a church just stop for a minute and, and pray that I talk enough this morning, okay? Go ahead. There's no fear there, so it's, it's fascinating to me that Paul's main concern is that. Um, this is a very familiar passage. I want to be careful how we look at it, though. I think pieces of this passage have been overemphasized, and we've missed some of the more important aspects of what Paul's trying to teach us. Here's, here's what Paul is trying to tell you. You are in a war. Now, that's not a difficult image for us to conjure up right now, right? I mean, just for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of a, a, few, of, a few of our friends. A few of my friends. Bruce Tuttle. Vitaly Keller. Vika Saikov, who are navigating their way through bombed out streets to gather with a community of believers and celebrate communion with one another. Imagine for a minute driving to church with, with air raid sirens going off. Imagine for a moment seeing the 
the burnt out tanks and knowing that around the next corner could be soldiers who have come to do you harm. Imagine that God would peel back the curtain just a little so you could see the invisible war that is happening all around you. Paul says you are in a war. And that war has raged since God gave the precious promise in Genesis chapter 3 that this one would come and crush the head of the serpent. That war has been going on since that very moment. But the good news for you, the good news for me, the thing we need to remember is the war has already been won. Revelation 12, as crazy as Revelation 12 is, that's where the dragon tries to eat the baby because that makes complete sense to everybody. The end of that chapter is focusing on the fact that that the enemy is, is going after our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who have already been saved by the victory of Jesus. See, what you have to understand is Satan is behaving like the soccer team that I played against my senior year. In the regional semifinals, we were ahead 6-1 with about eight minutes left. And I overheard one of their teammates say, dude, we ain't got a chance, let's take them all out. Now, they were defeated, they weren't going to concede, they were going to make our lives miserable, and uh, they did. And Satan's behaving the same way. I can't win, but I can make you miserable. And Paul says, you are in a war. The attack is happening. You need to understand this. This is incredibly important for all of us to grasp. Satan cannot undermine the finished work of the cross. He can't overthrow Jesus. He can't change the eternal verdict over your soul. If you are in Christ, if you have confessed him as Savior, you are forever forgiven, set free, sanctified, justified, redeemed, ransomed, and you will spend all of eternity with him. Satan can't do anything about that. But he can undermine today. He can can work to cause you to question the very work of Christ. He can try to shake your confidence a little bit. He can lead you to the place where you will no longer proclaim the gospel of peace to a world that is desperately in need of a gospel of peace. So here's the problem. When you think about spiritual attack, you you know what you think about, right? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is all the creepy movies. Doors suddenly slamming shut. Right? Whispers of wind through the house. Creepy voices. It's coming from inside the house. But in reality, the spiritual attack is described here. And and the way Paul describes it as, as schemes of the devil. Schemes are lies. What Satan is doing in his spiritual attack against you, he's trying to make sin appealing. He's trying to get you to do what he did to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, to question the very goodness of God. Did God really say, oh, he did? It's because he doesn't want you to be like him. See, God's holding out on you, Eve, and she fell for it. The devil is trying to lie to you and, 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 and tell you how absent God actually is in this moment you, you really need him. He's creating a scheme. Probably the most popular and familiar is the scheme that gets you so numb and unaware that you forget you're actually in a war. So so you're living in a war, but you expect peacetime conditions. Oh, but Frank, you know, the Christians have peace. And and I I keep using Princess Bride lately, but um, you keep using that word. I don't think it means exactly what you think it means. 
we do have peace with God. That's the kind of peace that matters most. That's the kind of peace the Scripture talks about. But Satan's pretty ticked. And so he's not yielding and allowing a peacetime situation. He's going for all-out war. And he's using the schemes, his ability to lie, to deceive. He's, he's also coming at us, and uses the word as a struggle. So this isn't the smart war of 2022. This isn't missiles and smart bombs and drones and joysticks. This struggle literally means hand-to-hand combat. This is wrestling. Satan is coming after you, after you in a personal way. He knows how to get you. So, so do you struggle with anger? Well, guess what? You're going to drive behind the slowest human being known to man. Yeah. You struggle with, with lying? Well, you're going to make an absolutely boneheaded mistake at work, and somebody's going to call you on it. You struggle with arrogance? And somebody around you is going to be celebrated for a victory, and you want in. You struggle with selfishness. Your spouse is in need of great understanding in this moment. What are you going to do with it? See, Satan knows exactly what it is that he is doing. It's personal. So not only is it lying, not only is it personal, but it's flaming arrows of incomplete truth. He talks about these flaming arrows coming from from the devil himself. And some of those arrows of incomplete truth can sound like this. Your kids, (laughs) they're just too far gone. There's no hope for them. Man, your, your future, your future is going to be filled with failure just like your past. Another incomplete truth that, that Satan can throw at you is you have ruined your marriage, divorce has now come and gone, and now you can't make anything of value of your life. You screwed up in the past, God's just getting even with you now. Man, I'm telling you, the situation for the future is just darkness and misery. See, Satan pulls no punches, and he's always on the offensive, and he's coming at you in this war. And here's the problem, and let me speak to you in a little quieter of a tone. (laughs) Some of you heard those things, and they're like, yeah, I believe that. You are a P-O-W of Satan's war. Those are lies. Half-truths at best. And Paul says, you, in order to stand in this day, you see, that is his goal here. In order that you might stand, he tells us at the very beginning what you need to do. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. He doesn't say, just be strong. Come on, like a good American, just grit your teeth and get through it. No, that's not what he says at all. He says, be strong in the Lord. He says, you need to be strengthened. That can only happen in him. What does that look like? So, so Isaiah 59 is, is a fascinating chapter, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but long and short of it is this. The people come to God. They're actually making accusation against God, for the most part, in this courtroom scene, and they're laying it all out before God, saying, look, at you, we, you, you have a shortened arm. You haven't come for us. And then what God says back to them is, actually, you are your worst enemy. There's blood on your hands. There's blood in your activity. Everything you have done is speaking towards your guilt, towards your unrighteousness. And, 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 and God is just piling on them their, the truth about their sinfulness. And then uh, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14 says, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth has stumbled in the public square. Honesty cannot enter. 
truth is missing. Whoever turns from evil is plundered. That's God's evaluation of the situation. That's not a rosy outlook, is it? But God continues, the Lord saw that there was no justice, and he was offended. He saw there was no man. He was amazed that there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation. His own righteousness supported him. He put on righteousness as body armor, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So what happens in this incredible scene is the the judge is looking out over the people, how guilty they are, how helpless they are, how hopeless they are. There is no one that's going to come and help. There's no one who's going to intercede. And God says, all right, fine. And he takes off the judge's robe and he puts on the soldier's armor and says, I got this. And in zeal, with enthusiasm and great energy, God wins the victory for his people. Be strengthened by the Lord. And by his vast strength, Paul says, stand in that victory. Don't try to stand in a victory that is your own. Stand in his victory. The attacks are going to come. Stand in his victory. So, so the imagery that Paul uses is a soldier being dressed for battle. But, but don't, don't get lost in the metaphor. Okay? Instead, focus on what we're supposed to be standing in, right? He begins and he says, start therefore, or stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. He says, you need, you need truth. Truth. You know what the greatest problem of today is? It's not that you doubt the truth. It says believers, most believers don't know the truth. That's why people, and, and, and I don't ask forgiveness for this. That's why people like Joel Osteen are so popular. Because people don't know the truth. Their ears are itchy, and Joel Osteen's like, let me get that for you. And people are like, sweet, where do I send my check? And then he builds this multi... See what I'm saying? The greatest problem with us isn't that we don't... We doubt the truth, it's that we don't know the truth. You believe things that aren't true. And so when Satan comes along and he whispers his lies into you, which are usually half-truths, let me, let me explain that to you. He says to you, ah, you sinned again. You're no good. God can't use you, sinner. You're not perfect. Therefore, you're not accepted. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a cheater. There's no hope for you in the future. See, see, what Satan is doing is he's taking pieces of truth. Yes, I am not perfect. Yes, I have sinned again. But he's focusing on that instead of finishing the truth. Because the truth is not based on my failure. The truth isn't based on my success. The truth isn't based on my perfection. It's not based on my feelings. The truth is based on the finished work of the cross. Because when you go to the cross, what you see is the truth. You're a sinner who is separated from God because of your sin. But at the cross, you also see the truth. Because of God's great mercy and the great love that he had for you, Jesus Christ took your punishment. Satan would like you to forget that part. Righteousness. Righteousness. He, he, he talks about taking righteousness like armor on your chest. The often misapplied aspect of this is that the righteousness is what you do. It is your good deeds. It is your hard work. You, you put on good deeds. But let me tell you this right now. Satan ain't afraid of your righteousness. That's like going out to battle with a, with a, pl- a paper plate as a shield. I'm fine. Should be great. 
It's going to go very badly for you, and Satan's not even going to flinch. It doesn't tick him off that you would try to cling to your own righteousness as armor in the moment that Satan attacks. Now, if Satan can get you to cling to your own righteousness and and consider that as a, a means of standing in the day of difficulty, Satan wins that battle. But the understanding of this righteousness is the righteousness that becomes ours when God saves us in Jesus Christ. See, and, and, and there's a picture of this again in Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3. Um, uh, Joshua, not the, not the Joshua who took the land, but the high priest Joshua, is getting ready to go and, and see God. And, and, and Zechariah is a different kind of book. There's a lot of different visions, and it it's, 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 makes your hair curl. <laughs> And uh, Joshua comes before God, and he says he's standing in the courtroom of God. He's standing, standing before God, and he's not alone because the one who is with him um, is Satan. It says that, that there he showed me the high priest, Joshua, standing before the angel of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord most often is speaking of the second person of the Trinity. It's Jesus before he was born. Jesus has existed forever, right? So the angel of the Lord is there. He's present. But so is Satan. What is Satan doing? Standing at the right side to accuse him. The Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this a man? uh, Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? The idea is this, the Babylonian captivity is going really badly, and yet God says, I got this one, he is mine. So he rescues him from from certain destruction. Isn't this man someone who has been rescued from destruction? And and why was Satan making an accusation? Notice that last part. Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Um, That word filthy is as filthy as it gets. That word filthy is the rated PG word for what that actually is talking about. It's disgusting. And here Joshua is supposed to be representing the people as the high priest, which means before he went into God's presence, he would have gone through all of the ceremonial cleansings. He had to have been made ritually pure. He had to have washed and bathed and put on the finest of outfits. And and as, as he did all of that and he rides before God in God's eyes, all of those great things were still that nasty filth. So the angel of the Lord said this, take off his filthy clothes. See, I've removed your iniquity from you now, Joshua, and I will clothe you with festive robes. Let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head. They clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. What is happening in this moment is that God is putting his righteousness on Joshua. That's the righteousness you and I need to stand in today. The righteousness that you did not earn, the righteousness that you did not deserve, the righteousness that is not yours, but is yours. The righteousness that's been credited to your account. As Satan continues to noodle around in your head and point out things where you've fallen, your reminder is that you don't stand in your own goodness. You stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He talks about the gospel of peace, having your feet prepared the gospel of peace. Satan is in the business of deceiving the world at large. You and I have been given the responsibility of going with the gospel. You understand that? 
And and when we go with the gospel, we are supposed to go with a, a humble, compassionate boldness. Because we have the true message of peace that everybody needs. But Satan has turned many of us into arrogant, fearful chickens. You have been given bread. There is a starving people. Go take care of them. You've been given water. The world is so very thirsty. Would you go? There is nothing but darkness and you hold the light. What is it that you are doing? The world needs the gospel of peace. Would you go? Would you go and tell Muslims about Jesus Christ? So, when I say Muslims need Jesus Christ, what feelings come to mind? What reasons would you delineate that a Muslim needs to hear about Jesus? What what are the reasons? Are they marked by compassion? Or is it marked by a hatred? Do you know in the Muslim teaching, there's um, this thing called, this bridge called al-Sarat. The Muslims teach that Every Muslim at the last day will cross Asarat. And it really depends on how much sin you are carrying on how successful you will be in crossing that bridge. Because it's a really narrow bridge. They teach if you've done a lot of good deeds and good things and wonderful things, and, 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 and then, then you have a very light load and you can, <laughs> and actually it's very comical the way the language is, you can run across it like a horse or you can run across it like a cow. Cows are pretty quick, but I don't know if I'd want to be riding one across a tiny little bridge. But if you are filled with evil deeds, then, friend, you're in trouble because you are going to have to carry the weight of all those deeds as you try to cross that very skinny bridge. And if you fall, you fall into hellfire. So is your response to hearing that like, dumb Muslims... Or is it, man, they need to know that Jesus Christ took my sins and carried them for me. And he wants to do the same for them. One of Satan's greatest victories is taking the compassion out of the heart of his children for the people who need the gospel of peace. Buddhists believe that they are reincarnated. Every cycle of life, what they are doing is trying to work hard enough to pay for the sins of their past life. When you hear that, do you just laugh? Come up with jokes about what you'd like to be reincarnated like? Or does your heart break recognizing that there are hundreds of millions of men and women who have fallen for that lie of Satan and have never heard that there was one who already lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death so they didn't have to worry about it anymore. 
One of Satan's greatest tools is to take the compassion out of the heart of his children. But you know what they do. 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you. Satan attacks us on the level of faith. Now, faith isn't believing something that may or may not be true. That's, that's not faith. Um, <laughs> faith isn't you bombed a job interview and a buddy comes up to you and says, dude, you just got to believe. I do believe. I believe you're a moron, but that's not faith, okay? Faith is putting your entire weight on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Putting your entire weight on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And, and I know, if you've been here for the whole series of Ephesians, you're like, here it comes again. Yes, yes, it does. You know what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, in Him? Well, in chapter 1, He runs the whole list, doesn't He? You have been chosen. You have been adopted. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You have been rescued. You have been given an inheritance and a hope for the future. You have been sealed in the Holy Spirit with the, the writing of the name of God on your foot so that you'll never question whose you are again. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but in Jesus Christ you have been made alive together with him again. And so you will sit with him for all of eternity. And until eternity runs out, God will dump his, his immeasurable riches of grace on you. Which, in case you keep in score, eternity doesn't run out. Faith is throwing your whole weight on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. The old hymn, How Firm a Foundation... There's this one phrase in it. What more can he say to you than, wait, did I messed it up. What more can he say than to you he has said? In other words, what the, psalm, the, the hymn writer is saying is, what else could he have possibly done for you? Put, put your faith in him as, as, as Satan continues to attack. Hunker down behind the shield of faith and remember what it is that God has done for you. And this is the one aspect of the armor that I will focus on because it is a communal aspect. It isn't like the little uh, shield that uh, Captain America has. This is a door-sized shield made of wood and leather, and it's all bound together. And it's got little links on the side. And what you would do is when you came under attack, you would get with your compadres, who also had the same shields, and you would link the shields, and you would duck down behind them. So you're no longer sitting behind a door. You guys are behind two, three, four, five, six doors. You can link behind you. You can link over top of you. So as the arrows continue to come, the arrows are hitting that leather and just being extinguished. That's why you gather here to encourage each other in the faith. So let me tell you, if you have come here and think that church is just a fancy way of sitting on a bus where you stare at the back of somebody else's head, you've got it wrong. You need one another to build each other up in faith, to encourage each other when you are down. You need each other. That doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. That has got to happen throughout the week. Salvation. I'm running out of time, so... I don't want to skip salvation. I think we got that one assumed in all this. Don't want to assume salvation. The helmet of salvation. What does that mean? Remembering what it is that Jesus Christ did for you to bring you into God's fold. It's remembering, as we did a few minutes ago, with the elements. The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. Satan attacks with enticing and lying and accusations. And, and we see that happen in Matthew chapter 4 when, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan himself. And Jesus of all people, didn't appeal to his own wisdom, his own experience, his, himself, even though he could have out of all of us. Instead, what he did is 
He responded with the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every time you open the word of God, you are combating the attacks of Satan in your life. Now, that means you need to read it, absolutely. It means you need to meditate on it. It means you need to memorize it. It means you need to pray it. You need to value God's word as something incredibly important and vital in your life. This one doesn't get mentioned in the armor, which I find kind of crazy. But Paul brings it up at the end. Verse 18, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Let me just throw this at you. He says, pray at all times. Okay, just sometimes. We'll go with sometimes. We'll take that as a win. Pray sometimes. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And we get all excited when we pray sometimes with some prayers with a little bit of perseverance or at least as long as I can stay awake for the two people that I really like. And we wonder why Satan's making advances. See, prayerlessness is an evidence of relying on our own strength and our own power. And Paul says, no. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. By his great strength, by his vast strength. This is the thing we need to walk out of here with this morning, and I will close it up. This isn't your armor. It's his. This isn't the armor that God laid on the floor before you and said, okay, good, suit up, buddy. Go get him. Now, God already wore the armor. The judge became the soldier. God himself came and won the victory over evil so that you and I never have to fear. You and I never have to worry. You and I have to rest in what it is that he's done. Colossians chapter 2 says this, And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, and he forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and that opposed us, and he has taken it. And he nailed it to the cross. And that ends with this. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him, in Jesus Christ. You know what God did for you in Jesus Christ? He won the war. And then he did the most elaborate touchdown dance in the face of his opponent that has ever been seen when he kicked down the wall of the tomb. Father, thank you for your precious gift in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the precious victory we have in Christ, not in ourselves, but in him and in what he's already accomplished. Thank you that you have made peace through the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have confidence that we can come into your presence. Lord, we know we are in a war. And Lord, we, we need to be even more aware of the war. We need to be have our eyes wide open to the fact that Satan wants to undermine everything it is that you are trying to accomplish. Now, God, we thank you 
that the victory is ultimately yours and, and it will never be swayed. But God, I pray in the moment-by-moment battles that come our way, may we be faithful to cling to the righteousness that you have given to us, to celebrate what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that we're not entering a battle without seeing how it's going to go. We know (laughs) that the end is finished. We know the book has been sealed. We know that it's all done already because of the great and mighty work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, may we celebrate that victory even now. For it's in his precious name I pray. Amen.